Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Woo Wings, a virtual restaurant concept from the man himself, the nature boy, Ric Flair. Enjoy the legendary flavors and world championship wings by ordering with your Uber Eats or Postmates app. Woo Wings is now open in Nashville, San Antonio, Jacksonville, Florida, as well as Huntsville and Tuscaloosa in Alabama, with many more locations coming soon. Try the only chicken wings worthy of carrying the name of the 16-time world heavyweight champion. Tell them, Nate. Woo Wings, legendary flavors, world championship wings. Woo! Woo Wings. Yeah! Woo Woo! Hey, man, how'd you like like a $20,000 raise? We can help you do that at SaveWithConrad.com. Don't take my word for it. Check out our reviews at ConradReviews.com. We've got an A-plus with the Better Business Bureau. We've won the number one Best in Business Award many, many times, and we just got a great five-star review. That's uh, from Jimmy E. He says, my wife and I just closed on our refinance after working with Diane and Steven. What a great experience. We closed within a month and added about $1,000 of monthly cash flow. Thank you. They were great. And who would have thought a trip to first family mortgage and ad free shows booth at Starcast five in Nashville would have led to this LOL. Thank you. Now, thank you, Jimmy, for believing in us. I know it's crazy. You're listening to a wrestling podcast and you're going to save a thousand dollars a month. Now think about that. Add that up over the course of a year. That's over $12,000 a year. You're going to save now. How much money pre-tax would you have to earn to net $12,000? That's about 20 grand, right? And think about that. You would have had to work for that money, pay taxes on it, and then just give it away. Come on, man. Keep more of your own money. If you can hear my voice and you're in a 30 year loan, you've got a second mortgage, you've got credit card debt, you've got a car payment. What are you doing? I can show you how to keep more of your own money, get a lower monthly payment and get out of debt faster. We're routinely helping our podcast listeners save up to a thousand bucks a month. Just like Jimmy, find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Oh, and how's this for starters? No house payments for two months. That's right. A little fall break from house payments. Sounds good to me. Find out how much money you can save at savewithconrad.com. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And if we can't help you save some cash, we won't waste your time. One more time. 
savewithconrad.com. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson here to tell you a little bit about adfreeshows.com. People often ask me, what exactly is adfree shows all about? Well, I'm glad you asked. Not only do you get early ad-free access to all of my podcasts, starting at just $9, but you also get many of your other favorite wrestling podcasts, like Click This with Kevin Nash, Gentleman Villain with William Regal, Oh, You Didn't Know with Brian James, and others, but yeah, still just $9 a month. That's 14 podcasts in total every single week, early with no ads. That's like 20 cents an episode. And yes, you can listen to them all directly through Apple Podcasts or through your regular podcast apps. How easy is that? Want some more cheese on that Whopper? AdFreeShows.com has literally tens of thousands of hours worth of bonus content, including fantastically popular series like Eric Fires Back, Idle Chase, and Strictly Business. And I don't know why this is a thing, but there's even more than 40 Ask Conrad episodes waiting for you at AdFreeShows.com. We've got monthly Zoom chats with all the podcast hosts, live watch-alongs with wrestling legends, and more. Come on now. See for yourself what thousands of other wrestling fans have already discovered. That's adfreeshows.com. It's the best value in wrestling today. Check it out right now. Adfreeshows.com. You'll be glad you did. Hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you? Muy bien. Como esta? All right. I like all Here that. Here we go. Come on. I'm learning. I'm learning. I got I to <laughs> brush up on my Rosetta Stone. Uh, but I'm excited to be here with you. Last week, uh, I was out of pocket. We had quite the fun stand-in, I understand it. Mr. Cassio Kid, the new co-host of Road Dogs. Oh, you didn't know podcast. How did it go oh, last is that week? Official now? Is yeah. that official? That's official, baby. God, those. I first of all, I am so grateful that I got a chance to meet Road Dog. Obviously, I've known him, known of him, but we've never sat down and had a conversation, at least none that I can remember. Uh, over the years, we just kind of were passing. You know, we we're on the same highway, but at different times. You know. Um, but getting to know him a little bit, he is one funny guy. He's got a great sense of humor and a great story. And I think the world of Cassio, that's a great combination. Great combination. It's going to be a lot of fun. Check it out. If you haven't already the, Oh, you didn't know podcast with our friends, road dog and Cassio kid. But today, man, we're going to have an interesting conversation because I do think that's probably what it's going to be. We're going to talk about Lucha Libre and the impact of Lucha Libre on American wrestling. And I mean, I got to tell the truth here. The first time I remember seeing anything about this, I mean, I guess I saw Mill Maskers versus cactus jacket clash of the champions, but I was a kid and didn't really know what I was looking at. And you know, it was just, Hey, these guys are fighting on TV, mama, that sort of thing. And then you get a little older and you get a little more sophisticated and you're watching Monday nitro and Holy cow. It just jumps off the screen. But I think a lot of our listeners, uh, the hardcores, the most hardcore, 
they maybe saw Lucha Libre for the first time on the syndicated ECW show. But if we go back even further, that big pay-per-view when worlds collide, which I recently just watched for the very first time, that was almost like the, uh, I don't know, maybe the introduction, the coming out of Lucha Libre in America. What would you pinpoint in your mind as the first time you became aware and Lucha was really on your radar? It was probably when worlds collide or, or possibly be, not long before that. And while I was generally aware of Lucha Libre in the United States, um, cause you'd see it on whatever it was, Telemundo or Univision. I lived in, you know, in, in Phoenix and Atlanta and you'd get those, I had access to those outlets and you, you know, on a Saturday morning, you'd flip it through the channels and you'd come across it, but you know, it didn't, didn't speak. Spanish and wasn't familiar with any of the characters. And it's quite different than what I was used to seeing in terms of the, you know, the, the American product. Um, so I was aware of it, but really didn't start thinking about it much until early 94. Yeah. For probably around the first quarter, somewhere in there of, of 94. And I, I may have, may have told you the story. I can't remember, but, I, I ran into just, it was coincidental. I, I met a couple of guys who were running a really successful media company in Los Angeles. And at the time they had the NFL licensing rights. They had licensing rights to the NFL for Mexico and for the Spanish speaking audience. And what they were doing was basically a clip show covering the NFL, but doing it in Spanish targeting the Mexican audience in the southeastern part of the United States that had a strong Mexican population. So I took a meeting with these guys and they explained their business model to me. And it was a fascinating model. And I learned a ton from these guys. I never ended up doing business with them. That wasn't the intention of my meeting, but in talking to them and they explained to me how, you know, they had their own ad sales department and, the reason for that is because a lot of American companies, and this is going back to 94. So this is, you know, a minute or two ago, mm-hmm. but even then there were a lot of advertising agencies that were looking at the growth of the Hispanic audience in the United States and were designating ad dollars targeting that specific community, that demo. And these guys were really smart with the NFL rights. They were producing this show, but they were also producing live events around the United States, small little events. And they would go to an example, a market like Pasco, Washington. Now you wouldn't normally think of Pasco, Washington as a market that you want to kind of build a business around, but there are a lot of little Pasco, Washington's up and down the West coast and, and probably other parts of the country, but these guys were focused primarily on West coast. And what I learned from them is that a lot of these, um, Hispanic communities and a lot of them would come up and and work in the agricultural areas in like Pasco, Washington, for example, I guess like potatoes and beets and all kinds of things. But a lot of migrants would come up and they would work in these communities and they were paid in cash and they would live in a small little community outside of Pasco that was all, you know, migrant farm workers and all of them Hispanic. And these guys would, this group I was talking to, would stage live events, music, for example, uh, and they would find, and this is what I found so fascinating, 
is they would find, and all of this leads to why I ended up bringing in Luchadors, by the way. So bear with me. It's a long, it's a long path, but yeah. what these guys would do is they would go into these communities and they would find the venue that the Hispanic community in that market were very comfortable with because a lot of these migrants, and again, things were a little bit different back then, you know, a lot of them didn't have green cards. A lot of them were just here working for cash. And then they go back down to Mexico, you know, when the season was over. So they stayed within their community. They didn't venture out in, and nobody went to Seattle for the weekends, right? Because it's just, they were not comfortable doing it. So they tended to, to, to kind of isolate in these communities, but they had a lot of discretionary income. There was no entertainment. There was nothing that reminded them of Mexico other than the, 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 people they came up with. So these guys will go into these venues and they'd find, they'd find the right venue. And typically a lot of these venues were venues that had as silly as it may sound concessions that that Mexican American community or Mexican community were familiar with. Now um, the right soft drinks, the right beers, you know, the right chips, you know, with pork rinds instead of Dorito trips, chips little, I know it sounds insignificant, but for a lot of these, Mexicans that would come up and work in these communities, that was like home to them. It, 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 it was familiar and it was comfortable and they felt safe there. So these guys would go up and down the West coast, promoting these events in these venues. They wouldn't go to the nice venues. They'd go to the venues that the Hispanic community felt comfortable in and had the concessions that they liked. And they would bring in bands from Mexico and they put on these events and they draw, you know, three, four, five, six thousand people wow. on a weekend and they were making a ton of cash and you never heard it was off the radar. But when they explained how their business model worked to me in early 1994, which at that time I was really focused on expanding WCW's business model. I wanted to not be totally dependent on pay-per-view revenue and live gate revenue. We didn't have television licensing at that time. So that wasn't a factor, but pay-per-view live events, licensing, merchandising. Um, those were my primary revenue streams. And I wanted to increase that revenue stream. And that's when I first started thinking about, Hey, what if, what if I worked, you know, whether I joined ventured with that, that group of people or not, but that, this was just the, the thought starter for me. What if, we did the same thing with Mexican wrestling mm -hmm. being just vaguely familiar with it and knowing of it through my exposure on Telemundo or whomever it was, Univision. Uh, I thought, wait a minute, we, we could do that and not bring American wrestling to these communities, but bring legitimate Mexican wrestling to these communities. And that was my foray, if you will, our initial thoughts into how do I do something with Mexico take advantage of WCW's infrastructure because we had it and, and basically replicate the model that these guys were using. Um, and, and that was it. And that's, that's what first got me interested in doing something with, with luchadors. And like I said, that was, I think it was early 90, late 93, early 94. So really it was more of an interest in maybe an emerging market and the culture more so than the fast paced action or the crazy colorful outfits, or it, it was just, uh, perhaps an opportunity. Hey, here's, here's a new group of folks to go sell our products to. Right. 
Well, it was, it was just a different market. Mm -hmm. It was wrestling and it was live events and it was touring. It was all the things that we did anyway, but it was just in a different category altogether and targeting a completely different audience than we were typically targeting. So it was kind of added value, if you will, an added value opportunity. But my interest was, um, I, guess I shouldn't feel bad about saying it, but it was simply transactional. It wasn't because, wow, I love luchador. I right, love, you know, right. love these luchadors. I love this style of wrestling. It wasn't an emotional kind of interest. It was a transactional one. Here's yeah. a market that's underserved. Nobody else is doing it. We can, we just have to figure that out. And that that's what started the ball rolling. Looking for a great mother's day or father's day gift idea. I was, and I found it at paint your life. With Paint Your Life, you'll get a hand-painted portrait created to fit almost any budget, and it's a great gift idea for your mother, your father, or both. You say Paint Your Life transforms your photos into a one-of-a-kind, beautiful hand-painted portrait created by professional artists. You upload anything you can imagine. You can even combine photos. You'll pick the artist, the medium. You can even customize the frame, and you can receive your painting in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at PaintYourLife.com. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded, guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, just text the word WEEKS to 87204. That's WEEKS to 87204. Text WEEKS to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. So talk to me just about, you know, the history of Lucha Libre. Like is that you've told us before that you were familiar with the AWA and grew up on that and the crusher and, and guys from that era, but you probably weren't seeing any Lucha on TV back then. Did you, oh. did you see about them in, in magazines uh, of any sort, or when did you first realize you know, Hey, wow. They, this isn't just an American thing. They have it below the border as well. It was probably, uh, early nineties when I first started stumbling across it, as I said to you, when I'd, I'd be home in Atlanta on a Saturday morning, be sitting there with Garrett and Montana and flipping through the channels and trying to find teenage mutant ninja turtles or whatever they were interested on. And I would stumble across, you know, triple a or whoever it was CMLL on mm -hmm. one of the Hispanic exclusive Hispanic networks that I had access to and I would drop in, I would see it, but that was really my first, that's my first impression was stumbling across it on television. Uh, I didn't see it growing up. I did it, it, you know, it wasn't a part of anything that was going on in AWA. It wasn't a part of, you know, wrestling when I was a kid growing up in Detroit, I didn't see any of it when I lived in Pittsburgh. It really wasn't until the early nineties when I stumbled across it on cable television and I went, Whoa, this is crazy shit. And it's, it was fun for me to watch. I couldn't understand anything. I wasn't familiar with any of the talent, but it was so crazy and different and fun that I would watch it, not knowing anything about it mm -hmm. or who I was watching. I just watched it because it was so much fun and colorful and the action was so much different than what we were used to seeing. No doubt. No doubt about it. Um, Justin Barrasso, a friend of the show who uh, writes for Sports Illustrated, wrote this a few years ago. Um, produce the, when worldwide, I'll get it right. Produce the, when worlds collide show that brought Lucha stars to pay-per-view in 1994. But despite the enormous popularity evidenced by the crowd at the show in LA, the Lucha scene in the U S did not change until Heyman brought the style to ECW a year later. 
The formula was then copied on a substantially larger platform by WCW Eric Bischoff at the debut of Monday Night Show in 1995. Now, boy, I love me some Justin, but didn't WCW like help promote when worlds collide. So how could you copy something that you started? Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I, I, you know, I like Justin a lot and he's a great reporter. And, um, so I, I'm not, I'm not going to be critical of that, but right. Um, yes, we, we co-produced, um, when worlds collide, um, we had the pay-per-view capabilities, logistics and relationship. Um, and we leveraged that. We also had a pretty successful syndicated, network as well as our own cable presence that allowed us to promote that pay-per-view. And that was our role in it. We didn't book it. I wasn't involved in any of the booking. We had, we supplied some, uh, I can't remember who the announcers were. I think it was Mike Tanay and Chris Cruz and Chris Cruz. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, which were WCW. Um, so we, you know, we co-produced that and I, you know, the exception, I will take an exception to what Justin, you know, described as copying. Yeah. Um, I don't know how, and, and I, honestly, I don't know. Maybe I did and not even aware of it, but I know that Paul Heyman and ECW did have, you know, Ray Mysterio, for example, and, and probably some others on that syndicated show of theirs. A, I didn't see it, but B, I don't think they had a, I don't think they had a division. Mm-hmm. I think he probably had appearances and that's not new. People have done that for a long time. In the U.S., he would bring luchadors up in different wrestling organizations. It existed here. It was very popular in the southwest part of the United States. So, you know, that part of the country certainly was familiar with luchadors. I wasn't familiar. I didn't see how ECW used them. But I'm pretty sure that they didn't create a division where we would see them every single week. No, it was it was a match. It was fantastic. And I did it a few different ways. But you're exactly right. It was, you know, just a match. One off. They were one offs. Uh, talk to me a little bit about how the win worlds collide show happened. Like does triple a approach you guys and say, we have this idea. How does it come to be? God, I don't even know. Isn't that a shame? Well, I don't it, even know. It's interesting. You know, you guys did and maybe the, some of this even predates you, but you would have some joint shows with new Japan and it felt like you sort of kept that relationship going and certainly grew it bigger than it had before you were there. Uh, so I, I understand the interest in, Hey, uh, you know, Japanese wrestling is, is a big opportunity uh, over there. And here's an opportunity to maybe brand some of our talent over there and, and who knows where that could lead. And, Maybe get some licensing over there, some TV over there, sell some merch, have some great talent of theirs on our shows here, et cetera, et cetera. So it feels like this might be an opportunity as well, but it didn't really work that way. Um, I mean, the relationship with AAA does exist for a bit, but I think eventually maybe became a little contentious because, well, talent was involved and they were probably making more money here in America with you than they were. Yeah, I did. You know, my, my, my initial conversations were with Antonio Pena, right? I just can't remember whether, uh, Mr. Pena approached me or I approached him or I had somebody that worked for me, for example, Mike today, uh, who was more familiar mm-hmm. with Lucha doors and what, or the Lucha world than, than I was. I don't know if I used someone, either Mike or someone like Mike to kind of make the introduction. That's the part I don't remember. 
But the initial discussions were with uh, Antonio Pena, I believe. And uh, you're right. You know, it didn't, the relationship didn't last real long. It never really matured because, you know, politics did get involved. And there was some politics that was were going on down in Mexico with CMLL and AAA. And I, you know, I had enough time. I had a hard enough time keeping track of my own political landscape. I wasn't about to dive into somebody else's. So the, the, the relationship did kind of fizzle out pretty quickly. I'll tell you a relationship that's never going to fizzle out. And that's between me and my chilly sleep. I absolutely love it. Uh, whenever I travel, I take one with me. I sleep on one every single night. Uh, as I'm talking to you now, I have three in my home. Uh, chilly <laughs> sleep is a permanent part of my life. I just sleep better. I just feel better. And there's some big news right now, Eric, we need to share with everybody. Sleep me is the new home for chilly sleep. We're bringing you the same great sleep that chilly sleep offered, but under a new name. Sleep me makes the coldest and most comfortable sleep systems available. They create the environment that meets the body's natural need for lower core body temperatures, promoting deeper restorative sleep. Chilly sleep makes the Uller, the cube and the doc pro sleep systems. These are water-based temperature controlled mattress toppers that fit over your existing mattress to provide you your ideal sleep temperature. These mattress pads keep your bed at the perfect temperature for deep, cold sleep. These sleep systems are designed to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and give you the confidence and energy to power through your day. And they just launched the new Doc Pro sleep system. It has two times, that's right, two times more cold power than their other models. It's whisper quiet, and it has a tubeless mattress pad design that allows for five times more cooling contact. Pair pair it with the new sleep.me app for enhanced device control and even sleep scheduling. It's been a game changer for me. Chilly sleep in my life. It will be for you too. And as our old pal, Jr. says it costs nothing to look folks head over now to sleep.me forward slash 83 weeks to learn more and save 25% off the purchase of any new cube Uller or the brand new doc pro sleep system. These offers are available exclusively for 83 weeks. Listeners. They're only for a limited time. That's sleep S L E E P dot me M E slash 83 weeks to take advantage of our exclusive discounts and wake up feeling refreshed every day. That's sleep.me forward slash 83 weeks. I love mine. And I hear you love yours too, Eric. I do, but Mrs. B really loves it. I don't, I don't think she could imagine life without it at this point. That's awesome. She absolutely loves it. And I've told the story before. We don't have air conditioning in our house and I bring Mrs. B coffee every morning. We've been doing, I've been doing that for years now. That's like the, I have a routine, right? One one part of that routine is to bring Mrs. B coffee. Mm -hmm. Usually it's at six in the morning or so, six 30. Sometimes I like to go up before she even wakes up, give her a kiss on the cheek, give her a cup of coffee. Isn't that romantic? It is like people wouldn't think that I'm that kind of a guy, but I really am. I'm, I'm a warm and fuzzy sort. But I bring her coffee and I give her a hug and a kiss on the cheek. And there's been many times I've gone in there like in, in, in the summertime when it's hot. Right. And she's like under a quilt. She's kind of a little thing anyway. So yes. she's a little hard to find in a big bed, but she's under a big quilt and she's just snuggled in there. It's like 90 outside and there's no air conditioning. Chilly sleep, man. That's, 
That's what does it. And I, I just can't imagine not having it now, especially for her. Go check it out. I'm telling you, you're going to love it. It's a game changer. Um, so let's talk about the win worlds collide pay-per-view. Uh, you attended the show and, uh, the rumor is he didn't stay for the whole show, which always made me laugh. What do you remember of that event in Los Angeles? It's a different style presentation. If you go back and watch the show and it's on YouTube and you can look it up, you know, all over the internet, uh, it definitely looks and feels like a WCW show based on the production all the way down to, as you said, the, the commentary with Chris Cruz and Mike Tanay. but boy, I mean, even the ring, it's a giant Corona canvas. Like it, it, it feels different than a WCW show in that regard. Uh, but it's there in Los Angeles. What do you remember about that event that weekend, the whole opportunity? Well, I, I had a lot of other business that weekend, you know, going to that triple A show was not the only thing on my list of things to do that weekend. Right. Um, so I, I didn't want to see it. I, I wanted to see what kind of a turnout. I wanted to feel the crowd. I wanted to feel the energy. I wanted to see how much real interest in it, in the, in that event would be. I wanted to see the balance between, you know, how much of an Hispanic audience do we have? How much of an American audience do we have? Is there a, is there a bigger market uh, for the American audience in this product? Or is there a bit more interest in it than I thought maybe there was? I just had to know. So my, my reason for going was number one, we were producing it. Um, wanted to make sure that that went as smoothly as possible, but more importantly, I just wanted to feel the reaction. I wanted to get a sense of the energy and, and the interest and what level that was at and what the demographics for the live turnout would be. So lately I've been on a mission to change the way people view their finances and to encourage people to overcome obstacles and adversity. It's just more and more important to me every day. So I've teamed up with the folks at Life Surge. Life Surge is a one-day faith-based event where you'll walk in hungry for success and you'll leave ready to build your resources to leave an impact on others. We're talking faith-fueled finance, growing resources, crushing obstacles, and then, yeah, using it all for something way bigger than yourself. I'll be joining Life Surge in Cincinnati on Saturday, August 3rd. Joining me in Cincinnati is Nick Vujicic, the man with no arms or legs that speaks about his trials and triumphs. Soul Surfer and author Bethany Hamilton, Duck Dynasty's Willie Robertson, and author and pastor Craig Groeschel, star of CNBC's The Prophet, Marcus Lemonis, and Bethel Music. That's Life Surge, Cincinnati, on Saturday, August 3rd. Tickets are on sale exclusively at lifesurge.com. I hope to see you there. I want to remind everybody that the, the, the idea here is almost AAA, or as it's called, in Mexico, and maybe that's what we should call it here, Tripla, because I feel like sometimes when you say AAA here in America to a non-wrestling fan, they would say, you mean when you get a flat tire on the side of the road, those guys? <laughs> so we'll call it Tripla for the rest of the day. Uh, but it, it's Tripla versus IWC, the International Wrestling Council. But boy, it does feel like a WCW show. It went down November 6, 1994. There's like 13,000 folks there. It's a sellout in Los Angeles. And the show is only a five match opportunity. Uh, Pero Aguayo and, and Conan in the main event. Uh, the, the undercard would feature a lot of folks we're familiar with. The Pegasus Kid, we know him as Chris Benoit, teaming up with Two Cold Scorpio and Tito Santana uh, to take on Jerry Estrada, La Parca, and Blue Panther. This is probably the first time most of us ever saw La Parca. Uh, we also had Ray Mysterio jr. On the undercard 
tagging with heavy metal and Latin lover, uh, to take on psychosis, Madonna's boyfriend. Uh, there's a whole lot of talent on the show, but the match that people still talk about is the mask versus hair match, which had octagon and El Hijo del Santo, the son of maybe the most famous Mexican wrestler of all time, taking on art bar and Eddie Guerrero and art bar and Eddie Guerrero. A lot of people believe stole the show. I got plenty mm-hmm. of time on this match, 22 minutes, 29 seconds. Of course, uh, art and Eddie do not get their hand raised. So they get a little haircut at the end of the night, but this is the first time most Americans had a chance, or maybe even the wrestling world at large to see how talented Eddie Guerrero was. And unfortunately art bar wasn't with us much longer. Uh, he's going to pass away. I mean, weeks later, November 23rd, 1994. And this show happened on November 6th. So it's maybe our first and last look at this version of art bar, but bar actually hung around WCW a little bit in 90 and 91. You may remember him from a Beetlejuice ripoff character called the juicer that just went nowhere and was maybe that was before my time. Thank goodness. A little boneheaded, but boy, that performance, he just had, there was some sort of charisma just dripping off of him. And listen, he was a complicated figure with a, with a, maybe a controversial past. That's a topic for another day. But what did you, did you get a chance to see the art bar Eddie Guerrero match? And what'd you think of their presentation? I was interested in Eddie, um, before I even got to the show, because I had obviously was aware of the, the, the Guerrero name and was somewhat familiar with the Guerrero family. So that was my primary interest. I, you know, I, I honestly, I'm not going to lie or try to exaggerate here. I remember the match. I was really interested in Eddie primarily. Um, I was impressed, but I can't really break down the match or, or, or go into much detail. I mean, it was a few minutes ago. And no, sure. Yeah. I, I wasn't there as much for the wrestling as I was there for the business. There's a lot of folks who were on this show who are ultimately going to wind up in WCW, including eventually Louis Spicoli, who's wrestling here as Madonna's boyfriend. But, uh, if you're looking for maybe an introduction and you want to go back to, cause if you, you keep up with what's going on these days, you may have seen a few weeks ago now at this point, A and E had a special out, uh, their legend show instead of targeting just one legend and, uh, you know, getting a, a focus on edge or Booker T or what have you, they did one on the very first WrestleMania. Well, they sort of broke down everything that happened on that show. Well, if you're interested in learning more about Lucha Libre here in America, Maybe the coming out party to start with is when worlds collide. So I encourage you go watch it. It's got English commentaries. We've said a few times now from Chris Cruz and Mike Tanay, but you'll get to see maybe the first time the world got a chance to take a look at Eddie Guerrero and some, some really cool stuff and Conan in the main event. Um, I don't think we can really tell the story of Lucha Libre in America or its impact on American wrestling without circling Conan's name, almost first and foremost, would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's funny. I just did Conan's show yesterday. Um, and, and, and I always love talking to Conan. He's a, he's a very intelligent cat. Yes. And he's very straightforward. Very, he doesn't sugarcoat shit. 
which is one of the reasons we probably get along. It's also one of the reasons we didn't get along, <laughs> but now that we're not um, working together, it's one of the reasons I respect him as much as I do. Cause what you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. Um, but Conan was right in the middle of it, man. Conan was the Conan was like, I had the desire and the intention of trying to figure out a way to do something with Mexican wrestlers. Conan was the guy that brought it together and helped make it possible. So you're absolutely right. You cannot talk about Lucha Libre in the United States without talking about Conan a lot. And then obviously Ray Mysterio and a lot of the other luchadors that have become almost household names, at least within the wrestling community. Um, it's because of Conan. You know, the, um, I'm sure we're going to talk about Conan a lot today, but do you remember the first time you met Conan? Would it have been when worlds collide a show before a show after? Do you even recall? I don't, I don't, I, I, I doubt it was at that show. Um, I didn't want to do a lot of handshaking. I wasn't interested in trying to, you know, impress anybody. I just wanted to see, I was a fly on the wall. I just wanted to see the dynamics of that event. And if I thought there might be a future for WCW in it in some way, shape or form. So I didn't go around and introduce myself to talent or anything like that. I was just, I was a spectator. Um, so it would have been after I'm sure, you know, Conan may remember it differently as sometimes happens. Um, but in my mind, I probably didn't meet Conan until I started talking to Antonio Pena again in about 95, because I do remember, you know, Antonio Pena came to Orlando because we were producing shows there and Conan would have been a part of that. And I think that's probably the first time that I met Conan. You've mentioned Antonio Pena a few times. I guess we should maybe mention this fact, uh, and maybe I have, cause I'm still learning, uh, but maybe I'm, maybe I'm right on this. EMLL had been the, the sort of heritage wrestling company for a long, long time. Conan's one of their top stars, uh, and, and the top guy over there, the Vince McMahon of that organization, if you will, was a, a fellow named Paco Alonzo. And I guess Antonio Pena was like one of his creative guys who, who had an eye for promotion and the spectacle. And eventually there's maybe some dissension that happens, some politics and wrestling. Imagine that. I can't imagine. And, um, a, a television executive makes the approach to Mr. Pena about, Hey, you know, you could do this a lot bigger on your own and Tripla is born. And, and so that happened in 1992. And what a coup it is to not only have the opportunity to do that, start your own promotion with, with TV right away, but he was also able to bring Conan along the top star. And we've heard that story before, you know, once upon a time when, uh, maybe Jerry Jarrett was looking to do his own thing. And what do you know, Jerry Lawler is going to tag along with him. And Memphis was never the same after it had been done a certain way. For decades, now this guy who wanted to be in the promoting business, who was a former talent himself, is able to start his own and also take the top star with him. We would see a similar story with the AWA, maybe, when all of a sudden the top star and maybe some of those main characters on TV that you saw every week, like Mean Gene, they go to the WWF. And then what do you know? History repeats itself. Here comes. A lot of that same talent to WCW from the WWF years later, 
But the story of Antonio Pena is one that maybe we don't talk about enough here in America. We also don't know very much about him. Uh, you've met a lot of folks in this wrestling business. What can you tell us about Mr. Pena? Can you compare, uh, his relationship with WCW or your experience with him? Can you draw any other analogies to personalities in wrestling that we might be more familiar with? Antonio Pena was, again, he didn't speak English and I didn't speak Spanish. So it was, it's not like we were able to develop a really close relationship as a result of that. And right. We only met a couple of times, you know, he came to Orlando. It's such, how do, how would I describe it? An amazingly gracious person, a uh, man. Um, I remember the first time he came, well, when he came to Orlando, he brought me, you know, a couple of gifts. Um, that I still have, uh, one was a painting and the other was a statue and, um, much like my experience doing business with Japanese, very, very gracious. That's the best way to say it. I really, I enjoyed him. I enjoyed his company. Um, he seemed to be to me a very straightforward person. You know, I never had any issues with. Mr. Pena, my issues probably when there were issues probably more as a result of Conan and the way, you know, we both did business back then. But Antonio Pena was a very kind, gracious. He invited me to Mexico city and I went down and, and spent a couple days in Mexico city with him. And, and I enjoyed it. I, I, I wouldn't know how else to describe that. So online, uh, the, the very infancy of online, cause this is like news groups and what have you. And in the quote unquote dirt sheets, whether it's Wade Keller or certainly the observer, we're starting to hear about and read about Ray Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero. And of course, eventually, you know, all the pro wrestling magazines are covering it as well. So the quote unquote after mags, uh, Ray Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero are, are all over it as perhaps two new big breakout stars, the likes of which we didn't see here in America. As far as inside WCW is the guy who was keeping his finger on the pulse. Was that always Mike today, at least for you? Mike today was a great resource because he had a strong interest in what was going on in Japan as well as Mexico. And I, you know, I, I, kind of had my, my plate was pretty full <laughs> and I didn't really have the time to learn and to research and to understand. So Mike was like my walking, talking encyclopedia. He knew the history. He knew the relationships. He knew so much about, well, at least compared to me and, and anybody else in WCW, including any of the talent on our roster today, just, and he really understood and knew the players in the business. So he, Mike was a great resource. In that. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Uh, I, I encourage everybody to uh, 
to take a look at when worlds collide, you can see Mike today and, and even hear him on commentary. And it almost sounds as if he's not as familiar as he would be years later on nitro. Uh, but boy, he became the guy who really explained the Lucha Libre to a lot of us, uh, on nitro. And we don't spend a lot of time talking about Mike these days for whatever reason, it feels like he's content to leave wrestling in his rear view. And I think that's a shame. I would love to see Mike do something in current wrestling. You think we'll ever see that again? And when's the most recent time, if if at all, you've had communication with Mike? I don't. I haven't seen Mike since uh, probably 2014. Oh wow, uh, 2013, 2014. And it is a shame because Mike. Th- th- I think Mike was one of the the most underrated color commentators of the last 20 or 25 years. Mike, in my opinion, is a true color analyst. And the mistake that I think is not the mistake, but yeah, it's a mistake. Mike was so good at color, but he wasn't that great at play by play. They're two different art forms. They're vastly different art forms. And Mike was so cut out for the color commentary role, but as often happens, oh, he's good at that. Well, let's have him do this. And that, sorry, and that just wasn't his strong suit. But if you go back and listen to Mike Tanay's color commentary, not his play-by-play in TNA, because that does not serve his memory well, my opinion. But if you go back and you listen to his commentary in WCW, particularly when it's a, a Japanese match for, you know, New Japan match or a Lucha ma- a match, man, do you get an education and you, he sucks you in his color commentary made you interested in something that you might not otherwise be interested in because he gave you so much depth and background. And dare I say he was able to color within the lines and make it so much more interesting, which is what a call commentator should do. And, and I'm not, I'm not going to go off on a tangent on this, but I, and I've said it before. I'm going to keep saying it until somebody actually pays attention. For example, now when I watch WWE, I'm not getting that traditional play, but no one's describing the action to me. Nobody's describing the action as if I was, I, I had no sight, but I still wanted to enjoy wrestling. You get two or three people all doing color commentary. And it, I think it hurts the product. It, it makes it more difficult for the viewer to imagine that they're there in the ring. And when you don't have a good play by play person, when I say good, I mean, when you don't have someone that's approaching play by play in a traditional sense and describing what the arena smells like and the energy that you feel and in an, in a really um, energetic way, describing the action, but then it's balanced with someone like Mike Tanay or more often than not, a seasoned veteran, somebody that's actually been in the ring, telling you what's going on inside of the mind of the people that are in that ring and describing and adding color to 
you know, why does that particular move, why is it so effective at this particular time in the match? That's the illusion that creates almost a sporting event, right? It feels like you're watching boxing. It feels like you're watching another sport where you've got somebody describing the action and bringing that energy and intensity, but you've got someone like a Mike Tanay that is so knowledgeable or even whomever, I don't want to name names right now, but somebody that is so familiar either because as a former performer and talent wrestler, or as someone like Mike Tanay, who is just a walking, talking encyclopedia that can give you so much background and, and depth that it makes the experience much more enjoyable and it sucks you in. Tanay was so good at that. And I think it's one of the things that's really lacking um, in today's product across the board, not just in WWE, certainly in AEW. I watched uh, not this past Wednesday night show, but previous Wednesday night show. I watched it in detail. I, I basically redlined the whole show and broke down the format yesterday on uh, Strictly Business or day before. And in listening to the commentary, and look, I love Tony Schiavone. I think he's one of the, other than Jim Ross, one of the best play-by-play guys that I've ever heard or worked with. Yes. But he's not doing what he's good at doing right now. He had three-color commentators up there. It's like, what the fuck? You don't need three-color commentators. Mm-hmm. You need at least one play-by-play guy and then two-color commentators. But right now we're seeing just three guys sitting in the booth adding color to what we're seeing. And I would really love to see Tony transition into more of what Tony's really good at, which is a true play-by-play you know, position or Jim Ross or anybody. Um, give me a play-by-play guy. Give me a color guy that knows his shit, and you'll suck me in. <clears throat> and that's what Tanae was so good at, man. He, he just knew his shit. Well, I'll tell you who else knows their shit. And that's Rectech, an amazing company that offers wood pellet grills fueled by all natural hardwood pellets, along with all their other cool lifestyle products like coolers and grill accessories. But the grills, man, they start at just three 99 and they've got grills for every lifestyle and every budget. I'm talking about Rectech. Our man's over there, boy, they got a key focus on flavor, convenience, versatility, and most importantly, their factory direct pricing eliminates the middleman. And all their grills ship for free. It means you're going to get a great deal. It's also maybe the best grill I've ever owned. Let me eliminate the maybe. It is. And we're going to tell you why. But first, I want to admit this isn't the first wood pellet grill I've had. But when I got them side by side, uh, I gave the other one away. Rectech is made with high quality stainless steel, it's built to last a lifetime. I'm talking about their flagship model, the RT700. It comes with a 40 pound pellet hopper. It's got 702 square inches of cooking space, the PID Wi-Fi controller, and a six year bumper to bumper warranty bumper to bumper. Come on y'all. But the, the Wi-Fi controller, Eric and I brag about it every week because it bears repeating. You're going to be like a grilling guru. That's what this thing does for you. Yes. You can turn your grill on remotely. Yes. You can turn it off remotely. Yes. You can adjust the temperature up or down. But man, when you use a probe in your meat and it's paired to your phone, buddy, you're just watching football on the couch. And then, you know, exactly when it's time to take your meat off the grill. Once upon a time, Eric and I, we were a couple of dumbasses, and we would think (laughs) that we had to hang by the grill for 22 hours to smoke something and make sure it's coming along. Right. And go sneak a nap in here or there and hope we didn't ruin dinner. All that's over with now. Thanks to rec tech. 
you can bake, you can smoke, you can sear, you can grill, you can even dehydrate on the grill. I haven't done that one yet, but everything else I have all with the push of a button. And that's why those in the know choose Rectech. So get rid of that gas grill. It's tasteless. Throw out that messy charcoal grill. And mine actually intimidated my wife, but not the Rectech man. She's cooking dinner on this thing on the reg. I can't wait for you to join an elite wood pellet grilling family. By focusing on flavor, convenience, and versatility, Rectech sets the new standard in grilling. Visit Rectech.com, that's R-E-C-T-E-Q.com, and use the code Bischoff5 to get 5% off site-wide. That's 5% off their top-notch wood pellet grills, their one-of-a-kind ice or coolers, the rubs, the sauces, the accessories, the merch, everything's 5% off at Rectech.com when you use the code Bischoff5. Uh, it's a game-changer, is it not, Eric? Yeah, and I need a couple of things that, you know, because we talk about this stuff a lot, but, you know, 5% off, that's 5% off direct from the manufacturer. Yes. That's not 5% off from a retailer that's already marked the product up 100%. Yes. 75%. That's 5% off direct from the manufacturer. So it is meaningful. And a lot of times people go, you know, I've, I've had people reach out to me go, man, I, you know, I went to the Rectech site and, man, kind of expensive. Not when you compare it to other grills, it's they're really not particularly when you compare the quality and we talk about stainless steel. Okay. That's cool. Why is it important for me? I'll just speak for myself because I can keep my grill looking brand new. I can keep that thing looking clean. It's easy to clean. You leave it outside. It's not, not going to hurt it. And for me, you know, I live in a pretty extreme place when it comes to weather it gets hot as hell during the summer and it's beautiful and all that. But in the winters, man, it's pretty brutal here. It's windy. It's cold. It's snowy. But guess what? There is no such thing as a grilling season in the Bischoff household. Grilling season is 365 days a year because I use my RecTech all year round. And I, honestly, I think I probably use it, if not at least as much, possibly more in the wintertime. Because... When it's cold outside, I want that grilled steak. I want it. I want to taste summer in January. And it's so easy to use. It's so easy to clean. And you talked about it in the very beginning, man. I don't have to stand out there when it's 20 degrees out with a 40 mile an hour wind and a blizzard and stand there and, you know, be ready to flip my steak. I got my meat probe in there. I got it plugged in correctly. I watching on, I'm in the house, you know, drinking a hot toddy with, Mrs. B sitting on the couch watching football and I can check my, my, my grill and know exactly when to go out and pull my stuff off. So I cannot recommend this grill enough. I get people sending me stuff on. So they send me pictures every week. I get at least one thanking us, not me, us for introducing them to rec tech because it is a game changer. I love to eat. Why not eat well? And who doesn't love great grilled food? And why not? If you love it, do it better than anybody. With Rectech. Rectech.com. Don't forget to use that code Bischoff5. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Uh, let's jump back into it and let's talk a little bit about 
when you decide, Hey man, we got to have some of this, you know, we had seen some Mexican talent on the American wrestling shows on the WCW side of things for a few years. I mean, going back to the early nineties, I remember there was that silly tag team tournament and you had representatives from all over and, but then eventually it does feel like, well, it's going to become a bigger part. And I don't think that really happens until nitro. Right. Uh, talk me through when and how you made the decision. This is no longer something that's just going to happen here or there. It's going to be a featured part of the show on a regular basis. Yeah, that was, what's the word I'm looking, I'm searching for the word. It's early in the morning and I haven't had quite enough coffee, but that was, that's when the light bulb went off in my head, because again, going back to something I've discussed ad nauseum, I knew that I had to be different than WWE. There was no way I could be better than them at what they were doing. So, you know, how could I be different? And I was also heavily influenced by Ted Turner, not, not directly with regard to what I did for wrestling. He, we never had those conversations, but you know, Ted's vision as a leader, um, in Turner broadcasting, um, was a very international vision. Ted, Ted saw, you know, I mean, CNN, you know, one of the first, you know, 24 hour global news operations. Um, because Ted saw, he didn't look at the United States. He looked at the world yes, and different cultures. And, and Ted was a firm believer. Goodwill games, same thing, you know, that was Ted. And so much so that if you were an employee of Turner broadcasting and for example, you were in the middle of a conversation with another executive and said, yeah, what are the foreign television rights work worth in that particular country? You'd have a conversation about not using the word foreign. It was international because Ted felt that foreign was a pejorative, right? He thought it was disrespectful. So I kept thinking about, you know, I work for Ted Turner. This is a global company. This is an international Product. How do I make WCW fit into Ted's vision of Turner Broadcasting as a whole? How do I service that goal? What do I do with WCW? And, and at the same time, I'm thinking, well, how do I be different than the WWE? And that's, I mean, the light bulb literally went off in my head because as I, as we've been discussing, I've been interested in luchadors and luchador wrestling and how to bring it into the United States on a transactional from a transactional point of view. But now because of nitro, I've got a creative strategy as well as a transactional one, because now I can do something that nobody else has ever done or is currently doing, which is to create a division that focuses a lot, not exclusively, but a lot on the luchadors, as well as a lot of the Japanese talent that I had access to. That was like, oh, now I know what I can do. Because another challenge that I had at that time, how do I say this? There wasn't enough diversity. When, I di when I'm talking about diversity, I'm not talking about racial or ethnic or anything like that. I'm talking about presentation. Everything was kind of the same. In WWE as well as WCW, there were different levels of success, but the characters were all larger than life characters, big, jacked up, whatever. The, the style in the ring, some of it was better than others, but it was essentially the same presentation. And I wanted something different. I, wa I needed something faster. And keep in mind, this is like 
my first foray into a two-hour show, other than a pay-per-view. This is a two-hour television show, which is different than a one-hour television show, which is what we're used to primarily. Um, I needed something different, Ben. And the cruiserweight division, which focused so heavily on luchadors and, and Japanese primarily, was the ticket. It is like, boom, ah, I've been trying to figure out what to do. Here's this new project that's been handed to me. This is going to fit really well. It wouldn't have worked on, you know, WCW Saturday night, not, not to the same extent, but with nitro, I thought this is my way of one of the ways that I can be decidedly different than my competition. Adam Leeson wants to know, was there a specific match that Eric saw that made him think he wanted to have the luchas on nitro? No, okay. no, it wasn't a match. And I know that's hard. I guess it's hard. Um, maybe unrelatable to a lot of fans who are fans of wrestling. I, I didn't look at luchadors and, and then the opportunity as a fan. I looked at it as a business person who was trying to deliver something that was exciting, dynamic, fun to watch, but primarily different than, than my competition. And as a result, there wasn't like one match or one person because I looked at it as a whole, not as individual talents. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, the critics of Lucha Libre, because, you know, I don't think you can deny the impact of Lucha Libre, just as far as the, the high flying fast paced style, uh, even the, the over the top, you know, crazy, extravagant, flamboyant, colorful costuming. Like back in the day, man, you go look at, you know, the crusher or Jack Briscoe or Harley race. And you didn't have any of that pomp and circumstance, but you get more of that on the Lucha side of things. And now, you know, if you turn on TV, you know, on a Monday, Wednesday, or Friday, you're going to see some heavy Lucha influence in some of the acrobatics, some of the costuming, et cetera, et cetera. But I have to admit. I just recently attended my very first Lucha Libre show and I had sort of an aha moment and maybe it's misplaced, but I felt like I got it more than before because I feel like every time I had seen criticism of the Lucha style, oh, it's devoid of psychology and they're not tagging and they're not following the rules. And I was viewing it through. And I think a lot of folks view it through an American wrestling lens, but that's not really what it is. So like, you know, acting in a movie and in a television show and on a Broadway play, okay. They're all acting, but they're all different and soccer and football are both played on a field, but they're different. And I felt like as I watched the show in the crowd, it kind of clicked for me a little bit in that American wrestling has always been presented through a veil of realism. We're trying to, boy, this sounds awful, but we're trying to make you suspend your disbelief and make you believe what you're seeing is real. Because once upon a time, we didn't want to admit it wasn't real. We mm-hmm. wanted to position it as this is a, a, a shoot fight and we're going to have a winner. And I think sometimes people watch wrestling through that American lens and they're trying to see 
well, would we really do that in a fight? Is this realistic? And it's positioned more like MMA or boxing, whereas Lucha almost, at least when I saw it for the very first time in person, it was like, okay, wait a minute. I get it. This isn't being presented as a real fight. This is a, almost a stage performance instead of a, a Broadway stage. It's happening in a wrestling ring, but it's telling a comic book style story. So you have this fantastic over the top comic book style battle between characters that, you know, Peter Parker didn't want anyone to know he was Spider-Man and Clark Kent didn't want anyone to know he was Superman and Bruce Wayne didn't want anyone to know he was Batman, but I don't think anybody ever bought their ticket, plopped down in a movie theater, saw Superman flying around and go, well, that shit ain't realistic. That guy can't really fly. You're not trying to poke holes in it because you know, well, it's like a comic book, man. It's like, it's a, it's an escape. We're not trying to convince you it's real. We're trying to tell you a story of these fantastic characters. And so when you view it through that lens of now, let's see if we can poke holes in the psychology or, oh, he didn't even really hit him right there or whatever we might say in a, through the, the lens of American wrestling, where you can try to spot the con, like, is it real or is it a work? That doesn't really exist. It's, it's a different form of entertainment. And once that really clicked for me, that it was like, oh, wait, this is like a Marvel thing. I'm just watching it in person. I, I, I totally changed my perception of, of the way I look at it. And I would even contend as a friend of mine says in business, you can be better than or less than or different than Lucha Libre is just different than American wrestling. Was that fair to say? God, that was the best. That was the best characterization of the difference between Lucha Libre and and American wrestling that I've ever heard. And you're absolutely right. It is the lens through which you view the the product that determines your impression of it. And I think the other element that's that none of us, including me, I'm not an expert on uh, on the history of of Lucha Libre. I don't want to try to pretend I am. Oh, me neither. If you go back and just spend a couple minutes reading about, you know, where did Lucha Libre begin? How did it develop? You know, we know how it developed in the United States for the most part. Um, and, and I guess there's parallels in Mexico, but it's a very fascinating history. And if you know the history and the history is a part of your culture as it is so much in Mexico, and that's the other difference. And it's really what you were just saying, Conrad. It's a difference between the American culture and the Mexican culture. Their knowledge of the history of it, their appreciation for the history of it, history of Lucha Libre, and how it's a part of that Mexican culture is different than what we experience here in the United States. But when you, as you did in Cancun recently, go down and just forget everything you know and just experience it, it's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. Don't compare it. Mm -hmm. You know, it would be, you know, we've all heard the, the phrase, the ugly American, as it relates to, you know, yes. when Americans travel overseas and they want everything to be just like it is in America. They go overseas to experience another culture, but the minute they get served a dish of food, that's so much different than what they're used to. It's like, Ugh, I just want a burger. Yeah. Well then fucking go to Indiana, <laughs> you know, just stay the hell out of Portugal and just 
go to a Burger King for God's sake. Yeah. But that's our tendency as I think Americans and consumers is we want what we're familiar with. Yes. And the first time we see something we're not familiar with, what's our default reaction? Typically we shit on it. Yeah. Eh. And that's unfortunate. It is. And I wish more people would experience what you did. Yeah. Um, because what you experience is even, you know, I, I look at things differently now, of course, but you know, back in the day, as I told you on the, in the opening of the show, to me, it was transactional. Yes. I wasn't, I wasn't analyzing it or falling in love with it or not falling in love with it. I, I didn't matter to me. It was transactional for me. Is there a market? Yes. Is there an opportunity to penetrate that market? Yep. Do I have the relationships that allow me to do that? Probably. Boom, we're going to do it. That's how I looked at it. But now I look at it so much differently because I've learned a little bit more and I appreciate it differently. And I encourage people, God, you just said it so well. I hope we clip the shit out of this. <laughs> Is when you watch Lucha Liberate, watch it through the, the lens of a fun, exciting, culturally different experience. One of the reasons I love traveling, and when I say travel, I don't like to travel just places I've been a million times or anything like that, or domestically, I, I'd rather chew my leg off than get on a plane. I'm driving 10 hours today to go to an event in Fargo, North Dakota, that I could get to in 90 minutes on a plane. I'd rather drive for 10 hours and fly for 90. Mm. It's, that's how much I hate traveling today. But if I have an opportunity to go, as I did a couple of years ago to Qatar, mm -hmm. Qatar, take your pick, don't care. But to go to the Middle East and experience an entirely different culture and different food, different ways of dress, different architecture, I live for that, man. I love that. And I, I would hope that when people get an opportunity to watch Lucha Libre, whether it's tri Tripla uh, here in the United States, I know they've got some big events coming up. There's one coming up in Phoenix. I, I think I want to go to. Just It's close. i got friends in Phoenix. I'd love to see it. Um, or if you get a chance to watch it on fight or any of the other pay-per-view providers, watch it, but don't come as Conrad just said, as you just said, Conrad, so eloquently, don't watch it through the eyes of what you're used to seeing, watching the American product, you know, go to Google, learn a little bit about Lucha Libre and watch it through that lens. And I think you're going to really find something you enjoy. And when you talk about Lucha's influence, I may be jumping ahead on you here. And if so, I apologize. You look at, a lot of what we see now on television, particularly yes. in, in, in AEW more so than in WWE, none of that makes sense. It's more Lucha Libre than it is psychology. There, now, there, not all of it. There's some great matches, and there's a lot of psychology in some of the matches. But there's a large percentage of what you see in, in AEW, for example, that's very... Lucha Libre-esque in the sense that none of it looks like a fight. None of it's real. You wouldn't do any of the shit that these guys are doing in the ring if you were actually, you know, backed up against the wall in an alley fighting for your life. But it's fun to watch. It's fun to just not look at it necessarily as, well, that wouldn't happen in a real fight. That's kind of a, that's one way of looking at it. But when you look at the dynamic athleticism, and just look at it as sheer fun. You could probably enjoy it a little differently. I'm, you know, I'm torn. I, I like both. Yeah. You know, give, give me, you know, Brian Danielson and hangman page. You know, I like that match. It was not 
anything like a Lucha Libre match. Yeah. It was more old school, you know, 70s, 80s than it was 2022. That's my style. That's what I prefer. But I also enjoy watching a lot of the more, you said comic book, I'll say video game. Yeah. It's the same thing, you know, but I do appreciate and enjoy that. I think, but I'm, I wouldn't if I well, if I sat there and watched the show. Like I think a lot of people do, unfortunately. They do. You know, you watch the show. Oh, fuck, I don't know that. I would. Nobody would ever do that in a fight. Well, no shit, Sherlock. You wouldn't fucking dress up like a dick dancer either and show up in your underwear. But this is a show. This is fun. This is different than a real fight. Don't look at it that way. Have you ever been in a bar fight and and you saw someone climb on top of the bar and jump off it? No. Have you ever, have have, have you ever, have you ever seen someone grab someone by the hand and sling them across the room? And then, I mean, like the whole Irish whip stuff, there's so like, Uh, you could pick it apart till you you get mad at yourself for spending more, you know, two minutes of your life watching it. If that's what you want to do, but that's negative. It is negative. And and I think, you know, the the era we're in now of wrestling, I mean, you take a a look at a talent like Will Ospreay and yes, he's been a mega star in Japan and certainly had some show stealers here in America, but you can't tell me that that guy wasn't influenced by Lucha Libre as well with all of the, the aerial attacks. And what he's done is he's, he's combined a lot of different styles and created his own. And speaking of combining, have you ever accidentally dropped out of an important zoom call because of a flaky Wi-Fi connection or struggled to upload or download a file while you were away from home? Have you ever wished podcast? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Have you ever wished that there was something out there that can improve, you know, your internet for better speeds and a better overall experience? Well, what if you could use more than one internet connection at the same time? Like maybe combining hotel or coffee shop Wi-Fi and the cellular data connection on your phone, combined that together for better speed, better reliability. Well, Speedify is the only app that can do that. They can combine multiple internet sources into one bonded super connection. That's going to improve live streaming, video calling, gaming, web browsing, everything else you do online. Now it runs in the background. So it's simple to use and it lets you combine any number or type of internet connection for better performance. It's available on all of your devices, your PC, your Mac, your iPhone, your Android, even Linux, but that's not all at its core. Speedify is also a VPN which means it encrypts all of your web traffic to improve your security and privacy. So what are you waiting for? You deserve better internet and Speedify can help deliver it. Download Speedify today at speedify.com slash 83 weeks. That's S P E E D I F Y.com slash 83 weeks speedify.com forward slash 83 weeks. So let's talk a little more about, you know, my realization that, Hey, I've been looking at this the wrong way. And and I think you and I talked about this off air, you know, for whatever reason, uh, Dave Meltzer has had a, a major impact on the way wrestling fans on the internet, myself included consume wrestling. I mean, he is a, uh, a taste shifter, a, sh- a taste shaper, if you will. And there's almost like this Meltzer effect that a lot of people believe for whatever reason that the best wrestling in the world happens in Japan and it is a strong style or stiffer or whatever you want to call it. And there's a lot more hard hitting action. And I can't argue I I was there for a wrestle kingdom in Tokyo and it was fantastic. 
It was unlike a lot of American wrestling experiences I had had. And, and I loved it. But now that I've actually seen a Lucha show in person, I would argue that if Meltzer says the best wrestling happens in Japan, I think the most exciting wrestling happens in Lucha. Uh, for instance, when we did the Ric Flair's last match show a couple of months back, they had an incredible trios match that stole the show. And it's what everyone was talking about afterwards. But as I talked to some of my friends who were more familiar with Lucha, they said, well, that's kind of every match every day in Mexico, but it was so special what we saw. And that's fascinating to me because you introduced us to this back in 1995, but I don't think we were really ready to embrace it yet because we were still looking <laughs> at it through that, that American wrestling lens. And, and you want to talk about somebody ahead of their time. We've gone most of the show without talking about wrestling, Spider-Man, Ray Mysterio jr. How many, I mean, when you talk about influence, I'm positive that the rock and stone cold were the motivation for a lot of the current talent to get into the business. You know, he, th they were just at the top of the mountain. So creative, so talented. Uh, I, I have no doubt that a lot of guys who are on TV these days saw those guys on TV and said, I want to do that. And, 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 and a generation before guys saw what Hulk Hogan and the macho man did and said, I want to do that. Ric Flair, Ric Flair. So excellent. Yes. So uh, th those, those guys will always be parroted, mimicked, uh, stolen from borrowed from, but even if you combined ever, uh, all of their influence, I don't know as far as the in-ring product that anyone has been more influential than Ray Mysterio jr on the current product. It feels like you can see his influence on Monday, on Wednesday, on Friday. If you're going to an independent show this weekend, you're going to see some stuff that Ray Mysterio created. Would you agree with that? Wholeheartedly. Yeah. It cannot be argued. The, the, the influence that luchadors, lucha wrestling, but Ray Mysterio in particular cannot be overstated. It just cannot. And I, so much respect for him, for Ray, uh, because it's not only what you see at an indie show or what you see on Friday night or Wednesday night or Monday night on television. That's obvious. It should be obvious. Um, if you've been around for a while, but even culturally, man, I, I think I told you the story. Uh, I was, while I was still living in Lori and I were still living in Arizona and I love Mexican food. I love good Mexican food. I love authentic Mexican food. And you can, you only find it on, in, in my opinion, really good quality, authentic Mexican food. If you go to a restaurant that's owned by a Mexican family, yeah, not a chain, right? you know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with them. Don't get me wrong. I've eaten them, but if I'm really, if I'm in that mood where I want to eat, like I'm in Mexico, when we lived in Arizona, Mrs. B and I could go down into, you know, sketchier part of Phoenix and there'd be a half a dozen or more family owned, just one restaurant. They don't own a chain. They don't own multiple locations. Just one family. There's one here in Cody, Wyoming called Michael's tacos, by the way, same thing, Mexican family, completely run by, by the family with old Mexican 
family recipes, and the food is fantastic. But we we went to this one restaurant in in Phoenix one afternoon, and uh, I walked in, and it's like these the walls were painted with images of Rey Mysterio, you know, in his mask and in action and flying across the ring. Really re- done really well. I don't know who the artist was, but did a fantastic job. And it was one of the more popular restaurants in that part of Phoenix. The culture is leaning into Lucha. It's leaning into the history of it and the imagery of it. Um, and that's a lot. A lot of it is due to Ray Mysterio and his impact, not only on the wrestling audience, but in the, in the, the culture itself. I know I'm probably overstating it a little bit here, but I bet you five years from now and 10 years from now, you're still going to be seeing Ray Mysterio's influence, not only in the ring, but in the culture itself. Cause it's, it's fun. It's, it's entertaining as hell. If you let it be. I do want to ask, you know, since we're giving you a lot of credit for introducing us to Lucha, should you also receive the criticism for maybe not understanding it? Oh, fuck. Yeah. Okay. Come on now. <laughs> we gotta be real. We gotta be honest on this show. Yeah. I, and, and I, I, I feel, you know, you offer people have always often asked me, well, well, what's your one regret? You know, I've, I got too many. I can't pick one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I honestly, just from a, um, just a personal point, not a business point of view, just a personal point of view. I wish I would have been smarter sooner. I wish that I would have appreciated the cultural aspects of Lucha Libre and the potential that that provided as much as, oh, okay, well, nobody else is doing this, so I'm going to do it. I'm minimizing what I did there, but trying to make a point. I wish I would have appreciated it and understood it mm-hmm. and been more educated. And I think by being more educated, I could have done a better job. I could have elevated what we were doing higher than it already was, which by the way, was pretty successful, but it could have been more successful. You know, I think in hindsight, you know, obviously, you know, we're, we've talked about unmasking Ray Mysterio and you're not really understanding that and wishing you had that one back and you've apologized on this program and others for it. Um, but again, you were, you were looking at wrestling through that American lens and Mm -hmm. I I totally get it because really almost everyone listening to this has been guilty of thinking. And and by the way, just to let you know how foolish that is. Imagine if the number one draft pick in the NFL was a great soccer player, the rest of the world knows who he is. But if you're just an American football fan, you'd be like, well, who the hell is this? Uh, why are we doing that? And, and, and then you tried to view his athleticism and his approach to football. Don't look at it through a, a football lens or a soccer lens. Just you remember men in black. I'm going to hold up a pin here and now boom, everything, you know, is gone. And, and we're going to start again. I can enjoy boxing and I can enjoy MMA and I can enjoy professional wrestling. But if we try to conflate the two, it just won't work. Uh, so I understand and appreciate that better now having actually been to a Lucha Libre show, but I don't know that I would have had that realization if I didn't go and see it and realize, oh, wait, this, this is totally different, but I'm saying all that to say, 
I feel like as awesome as the cruiserweight division was on nitro. And I feel like I'm beating you up here. It was positioned as less than in that, you know, the show was going to start so much more exciting than it will. It ever could on Monday night raw, like nitro, you knew that first match is going to be badass, And there's going to be sprinkles of that throughout the show, but it almost felt like, Hey, that's the appetizer. But in the main event, that's when we're going to give you the big stars. We're going to give you Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper in the main event. And boy, if you watch those matches back to back, as far as the excitement levels, there is no comparison, but you're again, I think maybe looking at it through an American lens where you're saying, all right, this was action packed and fast paced, but the story and the psychology, well, that was in the main event. So we're trying to compare the two. So I'm wondering, and I'm so thankful that you brought us Lucha Libre, but in an effort to be make nitro different than did, perhaps you accidentally make the luchadors less than just based on the way they were positioned on the show, because there was never a Rey Mysterio in a main event there or Eddie Guerrero in a main event there or any of those, you know, fantastic psychosis or La Parca. They were always on the show and maybe the best part on the show, but not usually last, not usually the headline act. Fair to say. Yes. However, keep in mind a lot of the luchadors that were a part of nitro. And it wasn't just in the opening match that, that, generally took place. I mean, it did happen on Nitro as well, but typically on pay-per-views, I would always open up hot. I believe yes. in bookending my pay-per-views. Yes. I want to open up hot. I want to end hot and do as good a job as I can do in the middle on a pay-per-view. With television, it was a little different. Yes, you want to open up hot. You want to get their attention, but primarily what I wanted to do is get there, get the audience's attention. It's funny, on Strictly Business this week, I talked a lot about format. And most people wrestling fans, people that have never been in the television business, when they hear the term format, it's just like, oh, that's a that's the order of things we're going to do, which it, to a degree it is. But the real purpose of a well-created design format is to build interest in your show over the one-hour or two-hour period, right? You, if you... If you start your show and you've got a hundred thousand viewers, you want to end your show with one hundred and fifty thousand viewers. Yes, typically, right? And a well-crafted format by somebody that understands episodic television allows you to do that. And what I saw in the Luchadors, and even though you're right, they weren't in the main events, and I guess therefore by default one could argue that they were less than. However, they were always not always almost all the time in that nine o'clock transition hour. You know, we'd start at eight WWE would start at nine, right? We both go to 10, at least in the beginning. I wanted the hottest thing that I had other than my main event at that nine o'clock hour. Cause I knew for a while, now again, schedules changed and we went to three hours and things like that. But for a long time, you know, we got an hour jump and that, Nine o'clock hour, the crossover hour, um, was just as important as almost anything else on the show, but the main event, right? From my perspective, not as a wrestling fan, as a, the guy who produced the show oversaw it, at least it's, that was my semi main event. Now I know 
wrestling fans are conditioned to believe, oh, if you're in the opening match, you're, you don't really matter. You're, you're so far down the food chain. You're just the opening match. Like it's, you know, negative. I didn't feel that. I didn't look at things that way. I wasn't talent. I was the guy producing a show that wanted the best outcome that I could produce. Right. And the luchadors in that trend crossover. And I think Bruce Pritchard will tell you the same thing. That crossover hour is one of the most important parts of the show. Yes. Except for the main event. And that's where I positioned the cruiserweights and the luchadors. So, yeah, I kind of sort of agree from a wrestling fan's perspective, but not from a television producer's perspective. Yeah, I just I think from, from a fan's perspective, they weren't in the quote unquote title picture. You know, it's like, hey, they have their own. Not in the heavy, not in the heavyweight title picture, but Conrad, and I know I'm not frustrated with you, but it, it's just like the general nonsensical perspective of some people who, you know, feel the need to constantly complain about this shit and some of the talent too. Um, there were cruiserweights. Ray Mysterio didn't weigh 140 pounds when I brought him in. It, how can you put some of that talent in the ring with guys that were 300 pounds? I'm not arguing that, but I'm saying whether they had their own division or not, their division never closed the show. Correct. Yeah. It's not what it was designed for in America. And, and And to your point, does that by default make it less than yes. In the eyes of wrestling fans, and some of the talent. Yes. Yeah. Um, we got a lot of questions about this subject. Uh, Captain Chaos wants to know, is there any resistance from the more traditional wrestlers about bringing in this high flying style? I bring this up, Eric, because we hear a lot of guys who are veterans of the sport and they will say things like, oh, you're shortening your career. You're taking too many risks. We hear that a lot from old timers. And I think folks have older veterans have probably been saying that about wrestling forever. I didn't hear it at the time, but Dave Meltzer writes that when Ricky steamboat and, and Ric Flair were wrestling very fast at a time when the, the way of doing things was to slow down, kid, tell a story, slow down. Terry Funk even has a famous quote, go as slow as you can. And when you think you're going too slow, slow down some more. Uh, and, and Ric Flair and Ricky steamboat were changing that and going very fast. And of course, wrestling evolves like any other form of entertainment. But I'm curious, did you get pushback from more traditional wrestlers? Hey, I can't work with that guy. Man, that's too risky. That's too dangerous. I didn't get that. I got a lot of pushback, but not because of that. Okay. Pushback I got was, and I got a lot of it. And I'm not going to name names because nobody would want to hear their names associated with some of the things I'm about to say. Okay. And, and again, it's because it was new and it was so different and Human nature essentially rejects anything they're not familiar with. It's just, it's the way we're wired. But when I brought a lot of the luchadors in, some of the highest profile talent on that roster were like, I'm not even going to mimic the way they'd say it because you would know who I'm talking about, would be like, this is going to ruin the industry. This, this is horrible. There's no psychology. They did all the things that you would expect, right? Which were the very reasons why I brought them in because <laughs> I wanted it to be different. But from the perspective of guys that had been in the business for 10, 15, 20 years, it made absolutely no sense. It was ruining the business because of the lack of psychology, right? 
as well as, and none of them would want to admit it, but I knew because I could, I was looking at them when they were talking to me. And sometimes you hear what they're saying, but I can see what they mean. I can feel what they mean. It was like, fuck, we can't follow that. How are we going to go out there and, and get the audience excited at 10 o'clock at night when they're tired and they've seen an entire show? And oh, by the way, they saw something that, you know, lit up the, the ring like nothing they've ever seen before in the nine o'clock hour. It made their shit look weak. Right. In, in their minds. Right. But I wanted that. I wanted the difference between smaller guys, faster pace, more athletic. I wanted to contrast the larger than life characters that traditionally the business was built around. I had a whole roster full of those guys. I needed something different, but those guys who had come up in some cases for decades in the industry and some of whom were at the very top of the industry um, to them, it was like serving Chinese food in an Italian restaurant. Why would you do that? Right. Makes no sense. You're going to, everybody that comes in for Italian food is going to leave because you're serving Chinese food. In this case, I had one Chinese item on the menu. The rest of the menu was all Italian food. I had one Chinese item for people that like Chinese food and it was different. Yeah. But for that older established talent, when they saw that Chinese food in the middle of the show, they knew that in some respects, their Italian food wasn't quite as appealing as that Chinese food. So you got a lot of pushback as a result of that from people that I was very close to. And, but it wasn't long. It didn't take a long time for them to go, huh, that was pretty good. That's kind of fun to watch. So yeah, initially there was a ton of feedback. And I think internally there was not in the office, certainly, but amongst the roster, there was a lot of, some of it vocal right to my face, not challenging me, but just expressing an opinion. Uh, and a lot of it, you know, from people that didn't have the guts or didn't feel the need to say anything to my face. There was a lot of pushback for the first three, four, five months. Well, no pushback for you and I, when it comes to Z-Biotics, uh, if you've got a big event coming up, you know, you're going to have to uh, be in a social setting and there's going to be alcohol consumed and you're worried. Am I going to be able to go to work the next day? Am I going to be at my best the next day? And maybe you're thinking, Hey, I, I don't drink alcohol much lately because I can't bounce back. Like I used to the next day. And I got a lot of responsibilities, but you don't want to be that person who's yeah, maybe getting peer pressured or, Oh, look at this guy. He's not now. Listen. That's a conversation for another day, but let me just say this, Eric and I have a life hack for you. Z biotics, pre-alcohol probiotic is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration. That's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produce an enzyme to break this byproduct down. It's designed to work like your liver, but in your gut where you need it most. Just remember to drink Zbiotics before drinking alcohol, drink responsibly and get a good night's sleep to feel your best tomorrow. And I got to admit, I tried this for the first time earlier this year. It's a regular part of my routine. I know Eric doesn't even travel without it. Now we are both mm-hmm. big believers. Give Zbiotics a try for yourself. Go to zbiotics.com forward slash 83 weeks 
to get 15% off your first order. When you use 83 weeks at checkout, Zbiotics is backed with a 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. Eric Zbiotics is the real deal. Is it not? It is. And I hate the term life hack. You know, because it's so overused, but this is like a serious life hack. Yeah. Because I'm in that category. You know, I'm, I've gotten to the point now where, you know, when I was in my 20s and 30s, I could sit down and, you know, drink till midnight or one o'clock in the morning, get up at six o'clock in the morning and have a meeting the next day and be on my game. Um, my metabolism was different. Everything was different. Now, you know, if I'm going to go out for a drink or two, I've got to like check my schedule and make sure I don't have anything really important to do until about 10 in the morning. So I, I, I love the product and it is a life hack because occasionally we did in Dallas, you know, you go out, it's a, it's a business environment, you're socializing, but you're conducting business and you've got to conduct business tomorrow morning at eight o'clock and be at a meeting or be at a presentation. And in my case, you know, if I'm going to have more than two or three drinks, I'm in trouble. Um, I'm not going to be at the top of my game. And I know that, which is why I travel with Zbiotics. because if I know I'm going to have two or three drinks uh, or more in the evening, I'm going to start before I start drinking. I'm going to, I'm going to have a Z-Biotic because I know that I'm going to wake up feeling the way I need to feel to conduct business the next day. It really is a life hack. So Eric, let's talk about what happened after nitro. Uh, we would see a lot of luchadors, uh, in, in TNA. Uh, essentially the X division feels like it was built for the Lucha style. And of course, you know, we can Mm. argue that because it's, oh, it's not about limits. It's about no limit or whatever. It Uh, was dumb. Sorry, Jeff. It was stupid, but there's a ton of exciting action that happens in the division. That feels like it was largely influenced at times by Lucha Libre. And they did some partnerships with Tripla and would do things like the world cup and all that. And. Obviously we know Ray Mysterio goes on to become a huge star in the WWE, even, you know, winning their big title, uh, the, the big gold belt for the company, something that a lot of folks maybe thought was never going to happen here in America. And they did go back to the, um, the masked version of Ray Mysterio. They saw it as a merch opportunity as well. They should, because boy, what a, what a business that is the business of selling Lucha masks. And then I think mainstream America really learned about Lucha Libre for the first time, as silly as it sounds through a Jack black movie, Nacho Hmm. Libre. Uh, I don't know that I would have ever guessed that that would have been the way, you know, mainstream America and pop culture became familiar with the process of, or the business of Lucha Libre. What'd you think of Nacho Libre and its success at the box office? And I mean, it's a cult favorite now. I never saw it. The movie really no i never did never did uh certainly aware of it yeah um, so seen clips of it sold all the promotion for it but I, I never i never saw the movie so i can't comment on that but i think that's another big example right we we're just talking about the influence of ray mysterio and luchadors and the success of the cruiserweight division and the luchadors in the cruiserweight division was it the inspiration or the reason behind that movie? I don't know. Maybe, probably, perhaps. I don't know. It's loosely based on a real story from, from what I've heard from, uh, some new relatives of mine, but, uh, you know, that influence would continue to grow. Mucha Lucha was a cartoon series from Oh two to Oh five. That was produced by Warner brothers. And, uh, man, almost a decade ago, where does the time go? 
Lucha underground debuted. And do you want to talk about maybe ahead of their time? We've talked about how maybe Lucha's on nitro were ahead of their time. And certainly Ray Mysterio was, but Lucha underground felt like a concept that could work in wrestling. I don't know if it wasn't on the right channel. It didn't have the right positioning. Maybe America was still trying to look through the American wrestling lens, but it is fascinating to take a look at Lucha underground and think what could have been, what did you think of the presentation? I liked it a lot because it was so unique. Yeah. And I, I'm surprised it didn't do the, the, the Lucha underground didn't do better as a television property than it did. And I think part of it was because it was on an obscure cable outlet that just not a lot of people knew about. It certainly didn't get a lot of promotion. Uh, it was the tree that fell in the forest and only a handful of people knew about it, but I love the presentation because it was so different. It was like, it was like a real, it was like a soap opera with professional wrestling or luchador wrestling. I thought it was very cool and it was very well produced. I, I was hoping that it would have had more success than it did. Here's a question here from Michael Elam. He wants to know, I may be the only one, but even as it was happening, I took the LWO, not as serious, but almost more lampooning the idea of the mega group of underappreciated and tired workers being snubbed. Was there ever a plan to actually have them interact with either version of the NWO? Now he brings this to our attention because at the time there's the black and white, and then there's the wolf pack. So there's already two versions of the NWO, but in hindsight, and listen, I get that, you know, maybe timing is everything in business and certainly creatively too, but man, having a badass group of luchadors legitimately trying to take over a program that could have worked now, obviously at the height of the NWO, that was probably not the right time to do it, but, uh, there you go. Do, do you, you go. do you think that could have been taken more seriously and more successful with a different set of timing circumstances? Perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps. But the timing was completely wrong. Yeah. To try to make something like that happen. Because had had somebody raised their hand and said, Hey, I got an idea. Let's have the LWO get pissed off and want what the NWO has. And let's build a story. Cool. Yeah. Does anybody think that that would have ended up okay? For, for the LWO no. at that time? No. It would have been a squash match. Yes. Maybe it would have taken weeks or months to, to, to finish, but that would have been a squash match, which would have done absolutely fucking nothing for any of the, the, the cruiserweights or any of the, the luchadors involved. If anything would have put a bullet in, in their potential, it would have been a storyline between the LWO and the NWO at that time. So let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, when we're talking about the, the history of Lucha Libre, we've got to at least acknowledge the WWF, as you would say, tried their less than approach when it came time for the 1997 Royal rumble and what's old is new again. They're going to be running the Alamo dome again for the Royal rumble, just like they did in 1997. But here they had maybe almost like two dozen cruiserweights and lucha talents who were a part of the show and 
they're obviously borrowing from the success that you've enjoyed with, uh, the luchas on nitro. Do you remember seeing that and feeling like, boy, this is just, uh, less than it was, a, it, it was one, this is my impression. Obviously I wasn't there and I wasn't part of the discussions, but my impression was they're going to give this a try, but they're not committed. You know, and, and a lot of that is not a criticism. It just is what it is. You know, Vince McMahon's vision for the characters that were the most important on his show were the larger than life characters. And that's probably the reason why, although WWF attempted to kind of recreate that lightning in the bottle that the cruiserweight division created for nitro, they didn't really make a commitment to it. Had they, it would have been successful. So I, I think it was one of those things like, okay, let's give this a try up, oh, check that box. We tried it. Let's move on. Let's go back to the formula that we know that works for us. That was my impression. Talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, we got a lot of, we solicited a lot of questions for this and I feel like a lot came in like this. Let me just read these two questions back to back. So we won't pause to answer. I, I, you know, we, we, we've sort of framed this as best we could. I think about taking a look at Lucha through the American wrestling lens. And I think here's two prime examples. Two count Kyle says, Hey, Eric, with all that, you know, now of Lucha Libre's influence on the current wrestling product. Would you do anything differently in WCW and how do you feel about the Lucha influence on today's product? Are you proud or are you more in the slow it F and down camp? And here's another question from Adam Arpin. He says, do you feel that wrestling today was negatively impacted by WCW introducing Lucha Libre to the mainstream by that? I mean, a lot of today's wrestling AEW specifically is a chain of hot spots where many are trying to emulate the Rey Mysterio psychosis types athletically, but never stop to learn the psychological aspects of match pacing and proper selling. So these are clearly two guys who grew up dyed in the wool, American wrestling fans who wonder, is it bad for the business? I, I can't, I can't even begin to argue that it would be bad, but I do wonder sometimes are we hurting the potential upside and, and potential appreciation of Lucha. If we're mixing and matching, meaning if we're trying to have a guy who works the American style wrestle, uh, a fast paced Lucha match where maybe the rules are more thrown out the window. Once upon a time, these matches were positioned as, all right, here's a Lucha match. And it was done under Lucha rules or what have you. But I almost feel like there needs to be a okay timeout now for something totally different, as opposed to we're just going to throw stuff against the wall and see what sticks. Because if it is something where, well, that's not the way we do it in an American rules match, and this is a lucha, does that make sense? Are we mixing it a little too much? Or why, why are fans over and over asking the comments here about? You know, was it a mistake? I, I can't imagine how it was a mistake the, to me. The answer and you're going to answer, of course, but my answer would be absolutely not. But is there a way to uh, separate church and state? If that makes sense. Yes. If you make a commitment to separate church and state, one can ch- separate church and state without risk of doing any overall harm. Mm-hmm. Therein lies the challenge. 
and what's not happening. And, and I agree to a certain extent. Well, I don't agree. I understand why that question was asked and why that may be the perception of some wrestling fans, because look, when you watch the current product and again, particularly AEW, because they're more, um, they're more guilty of this, but frankly, um, the, Let me back up. Okay. Because one of the questions was, given my experience and time, you know, what would I do differently? I would have focused so much more, and this is where my lack of familiarity and just not knowing, ignorance is actually the right word, lack of knowledge and information. Um, but had I known then what I know now, I would have built up the cultural aspect and the historical and the legacy of luchadors in, in the United States, I would have educated my audience way before I started having lucha matches. I would, my audience would understand. They may not necessarily buy in, but they would understand why it exists on my show and what its significance is. But more importantly, they would understand the difference because I would have educated them in advance. So when they're seeing it, they at least understand why it's there and why it's different. Earlier, when you mentioned the X division, I, I made a smart ass comment and it's one of the reasons that, you know, I always make a smart ass comment when anybody brings up the X division in, in the context of comparing it to the cruiserweight division, because the same things that you saw in the X division, you would see the f next week in a regular match. There was no separation of church and state. There was no education. There was no delineation. You, you would see, yeah, you would see some high flying crazy and you'd see a lot of it during an X division match, but you'd see the same thing spread out throughout the entire show. So there was nothing different about it. And then you add into the fact that, you know, you'd have a 285 pound guy wrestling in the X division match with the Lucha style. It was just, you can't mix and match that way and expect the audience to appreciate it. And I think what happens too often in some programs is that you do have a lot of talent that is, they're trying to make a name for themselves. They're trying to get that. This is awesome, which is like the most juvenile shit in the world to try to solicit that response. Because what you're doing is you're encouraging your talent to do some crazy shit. That's probably going to get them hurt because they don't do it often enough. They're not doing it five nights a week, but they're, you know, now the cameras are on Dave Meltzer's watching. Oh my God. I want to see my name on the internet. So I'm going to go out and do this crazy shit, which is probably going to shorten your career. And we've seen a lot of that lately, but the way it hurts the product is because it's just a mishmash and there's no, real understanding or relationship. So I think much like I bitched, I used to laugh every time somebody would bring up, you know, an X division tournament or something or X division pay per view, I'd laugh my ass off in a production meeting and make fun of it because it was stupid because they didn't take the time to say, okay, here is the box that we're going to present. Here are the rules within that box. Here is why the X division is so unique from everything else that's on the show. By doing that, you're telling people how to appreciate what you're doing. And you have to tell the, you have to educate your audience. You have to tell your audience what to pay attention to, and you have to tell them why they should pay attention to it. You can't just throw the shit out there and expect it to work.
the cruiserweight division worked because at least initially everybody understood it was for that, that portion of the roster that was under 200 pounds. And this was their chance to go out and do what they knew how to do, which was so much different than what everybody else was doing. That's why it worked. That's why Ray Mysterio became one of the reasons why Ray Mysterio became such a big star because he was doing something nobody else was capable of doing or did do even if they were. But when you just have that shit floating throughout your show and everybody's doing it, guess what? It doesn't matter anymore. And in, in the, in the context of, you know, by defining the rules, here's a good example. And this is something that I really liked that I saw in AEW a couple of weeks ago, not this past Wednesday, but the Wednesday before. Now I, I totally lambasted the lack of format for that particular episode. I won't go into it here because I've already done it, but the, the ring of honor world title was on the line in the main event. Now let's not even address what I addressed in strictly business that nobody promoted the fucking main event. Not one person other than a quick graphic that popped up in a corner during a match, nobody from Tony Khan at the beginning of the open of the show, all the way up until the moment the bell rang, nobody told, nobody told me as a viewer what I should be looking forward to, why I should be looking forward to it and why it's so unique. Not one fucking syllable, not a syllable. It just popped up in the main event. Oh, by the way, they lost 40% of the audience from the opening of the show to the main event. You know, 400,000 people went, man, I'm out of here because you didn't give them a reason to stick around. Right. You didn't, you didn't get their attention. You didn't create any anticipation and you didn't educate them. Now that's my bitch. And I went into a pretty detailed breakdown of not only that, but a lot of other things I saw or didn't see, but I liked the match. I felt bad for the people in the match because it was actually a great match. And because the rules were different, I found that to be intriguing as hell. It's the first time I'd ever heard all that. I don't remember what the rules are, but you only had, you can only throw one punch or you, you had, you had, there were parameters that existed within the rules of that particular match that didn't apply to the rest of the show or the rest of the matches on the show. I went, well, fuck, that's kind of cool. That's unique. I wish they would have told me about this sooner. Right. And it's the same thing. If you take that unique set of rules that have been created for the ring of honor title and why it's different than everything else that you're going to see on that particular show. I love that. I think that's smart creatively, but what's going to happen if all of a sudden those unique set of rules start permeating through the rest of the card. It's no longer special, is it? Right. It's, there's nothing unique about it. There's no, there's no longer any story potential anymore. You can't break rules that don't exist. And that's kind of, that, that was my bitch with like the X division and, and some of the things that I'm seeing today is that if you want it to be special, You've got to tell the audience why it's special, and then you have to deliver. And you can't let what makes something like the Ring of Honor title and the rules that are involved with it, what makes it so unique, you've got to protect that and not let everybody else start doing it. And I think that's part of what's at the root is 
at least one of those questions is, did, did that style of wrestling hurt the business overall? I understand why some people might think that, but it's unfortunate because it didn't need to. If it would have been kept special. I'm not doing a great job articulating that. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Oh yeah, is we it, got it. It is unique. It is special. It is different than, but you have to protect the fact that it's different than in order for the different than value to continue to apply. Otherwise, it's just everybody's doing it, and it no longer matters. Here's what we know for sure. Are you a fan of professional wrestling? Of course you are. That's why you're listening to this podcast. Whether you're a fan of wrestling companies today, or you were glued to your TV on Monday nights and your favorite wrestlers are no longer active. We have the perfect free mobile game and it's for you on both Android's Google play and Apple's app store. It's called ultimate wrestling trivia. Feel the flood of memories come rushing back to you as you test your knowledge on all things from the world of pro wrestling by playing ultimate wrestling trivia. You're not alone in this quest. They've enlisted the help of more than 30 of their famous friends to ask you some of the questions and cheer you on. They'll celebrate you when you answer a question correctly or bust your chops. When you get one wrong, the game has multiple former world champions, including five hall of famers like Kevin Nash, Eric Bischoff, Tony Atlas, big Papa pump, Jerry King, Jerry, the King Lawler download ultimate wrestling trivia today. See where you stack up, stack up against the competition on the leaderboard. Just search for ultimate wrestling trivia in the Apple app store or Google play store, or go to ultimate for more info. If you like trivia, you'll love ultimate wrestling trivia, the free mobile game over 10,000 questions, more than 650 video questions and over 30 wrestling legends, including our very own Eric Bischoff. Find out who knows more wrestling trivia between you and your friends. When you play and join the same faction to download, just search for the ultimate wrestling trivia in the Apple app store or the Google play store. Or just go to ultimatewrestlingtrivia.com for more info. Eric, I appreciate the discussion today on all things uh, Lucha Libre and the history and influence of Lucha Libre on American wrestling. Uh, I got to see my first Lucha Libre show in person in Mexico. It was fantastic. I liked it so much. I'm going to go see it again. Yeah, every wrestling fan's dream is to go to WrestleMania, and I've been fortunate enough to be to several of those. I've even been to a Wrestle Kingdom in the Tokyo Dome. And next month, October 15th, live on pay-per-view, you can see what I'm doing. I'm going to Mexico city, Eric. I'm going to triple mania 30. It's the 30th anniversary of the very first triple mania, uh, where Conan lost a career match. Jake, the snake Roberts was there and they've got some big matches up their sleeve. I think we're going to see Vikingo and Phoenix. And I think we're going to even see mask versus mask, which I know will get you going. Cause you love to see luchadors unmasked. Volano number four, who we saw back in the day on nitro taking on Pentagon jr. It's all happening at triple mania 30, October 15th. You can watch it on fight. I'm sure we'll have more information here, but, uh, I'm pumped, man. I've never been to Mexico city and triple mania. It doesn't get any bigger than that for triple. does it man go early, give yourself some time. You know, I know we're all busy and you in particular, you're one of the busiest people I know, but if you can. Give yourself a couple extra days on the front end or the back end and explore Mexico city, the history, the culture. It's just, it's a fascinating experience. I, I envy you. I, I you're going to have a blast. And do you know what is something that's really unique? You know, Viano four and Viano five are brothers, right? Yeah. Do you know that Viano five came before Viano four and Viano four should be Viano five. Look it up. It's really interesting. 
Wow. How about that? Yeah. Learn something new every day. Well, I'm going to learn a so lot a little more. Bit of, just a little bit of trivia. It's going to be, it's going to be cool, man. Triple mania right around the corner for Tripla. Uh, I'll be watching. I'm sure Eric will be watching. We're going to tell you guys more about it as we get closer. I'm sure. But next week you and I are talking about Dean Malenko. How about that for a little change of pace? Oh, I can't wait. I saw Dean. Uh, fortunately, I, you know, I was able to see Dean at Starcast, and I, not, not many people I have more respect for than Dean Malenko. So I can't wait to talk about can't wait. We're doing that next week, right here on 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.